Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. I want to start with a question this morning. And the question is this, how many of you would say that if you had just a little bit more of something to give, that you would be more usable to God? So in other words, how many of you feel like you're lacking something currently in your walk, that if only you had just a little bit more of this particular thing, whatever it might be, you would then feel more usable to God? My guess is that probably all of us in this room today feel somewhat like that. We probably all feel like we're deficient in something. And, that, and thus we are, maybe some of us feel less usable and some of us even feel unusable by God because we're lacking something. Perhaps you're thinking, if only God were to give me just a little bit more silver and gold or a more fit body, or a prettier face, or better clothes, or more boldness, or a photographic memory, or the ability to speak better. Oh, then, well, then I would, I would be more usable to God. You know what the problem is with that kind of thinking? That it's negative thinking. The focus is on what you don't have rather than on what you do have. So in other words, you're thinking that you're lacking something that's hindering you from the ability to work for the Lord, and yet you're unwilling to use the things that you have been given. That is a negative negative mindset. That is looking at the glass half empty. I want to tell you this morning that the Lord wants us to look at the glass half full. He wants us to understand that we are in a better position than we realize to be used by God. Now listen, Jesus may not have have left you a million dollars, but he did leave you rich in spirit. He may not have given you a silver tongue, but he did give you an anointing. Listen, he may not have made you pretty in the face, but he did make your feet beautiful to those who need to hear the gospel of good, the good news of Jesus Christ, folks. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is that you aren't in a deficit. You aren't lacking the most important thing you need to be usable by God. In other words, you've got something to give. That is the title of my message this morning. You've got something to give. Turn to the person on your left and tell them, you've got something to give. I don't think you mean it. I don't think you guys mean that. I mean, I could feel... The glass is half empty right there. That's, that's kind of how that felt. Turn to the person on your right and say it like you mean it, man. You got something to give. Come on. Listen, stop feeling like you're lacking. Stop feeling, stop acting like you're unusable or less usable to God. I want you to understand if you're in Christ, you are as usable as you can be. You're right now, you're positioned, and and God wants to do extraordinary things through you because you possess the single most important, the most powerful thing in all the world. You have to give something that will change a person's life no matter what they're dealing with. What you have is the mighty name of Jesus, the name above every name. 
Now, what in the world could top that? What could God give you that would top what you already possess in Christ? The name of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How much silver and gold does it take to heal a person of heart disease or cancer or, you know, something like that? How can you move a person from being destined for hell to destined for life with your silver and gold? You cannot. But you can do all of those things and more in the name of Jesus. Some of you feel like you can't put your words together in a way that would make sense to people or in a way that's more eloquent, and so you're, you're lacking telling people you know, the, the truth about their broken relationships because you feel inept or you feel like you're lacking in the ability to communicate. How in the world can you putting sentences together gonna move a person who has a broken relationship into a healed one? How is that gonna happen? Listen. There are seminars and there are books and all these kinds of things with people who are incredible orators and they can't do it. How in the world do you think you're gonna be able to do that? Let me tell you something. Your speech isn't gonna work. It's the name of Jesus that will work. He's the reconciler of every relationship. Whether it's vertical relationship between you and God or a horizontal relationship between you and your spouse or you and your um, sibling or you and your friends or whatever it might be. You have what you need for every circumstance, every situation, everything that crosses your path, you are positioned already in Christ to be usable to God. You don't need anything else. You already possess the most powerful thing in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? We just sang about how the name of Jesus heals, how the name of Jesus reconciles, the name of Jesus wipes our sins away. What else in the world can do that, folks? Nothing else. We're sitting here looking at the world falling apart all around us. We possess the one thing that can bring it all together, the mighty name of Jesus. Nothing else is gonna work, folks. There are no rules that man can pass. There's nothing man can do in and of themselves in order to bridge the gap for the things that are going on in our world today. The name of Jesus is what our world needs. And guess what? He, he chose you, handpicked you. He chose you and handpicked you to be in this time, in this day, to proclaim the powerful name of Jesus. And so many Christians are lacking. They're lacking in, in their willingness to stand in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus comes with power. The name of Jesus comes with authority. Authority above all authority. You have what the world needs in the name of Jesus. I think you get the point. I wanna show you this morning how uh, you can move from a place of feeling like you're lacking to understanding that you possess the one thing that can make a difference in any situation and circumstance, folks. Imagine with me, Peter and John walking to the temple that day feeling like, man, we're just, dude, we suck. You denied the Lord, you know. You, you ran off when Jesus was arrested, man. Both you guys, we're losers, man. We can't, we can't be used. Look what we've done to the Lord. We, we were in his inner circle for, for three years, and, and you know, we totally blew it. How in, the Lord, how in the world can God use us now? Could you imagine what, the, the disciples walking in ancient Jerusalem like that? 
Hey, listen, we wouldn't be here if that would be the case because that's the same problem you have is that when we view life like we are inept and we are deficient, then we simply just stand back and we don't do a thing, but they didn't do that because they weren't operating in a negative mindset, even though all of those things are true. They blew it big time. Hey, they, they, they ran away from the Lord. When in, in the moment that he needed his disciples the most, they, they ran from him. They scattered. They were afraid. Peter even denied him before man. And every one of the other guys, by the way, denied him too in different ways. And yet God says, you're my men. You're my chosen vessels to bring the powerful name of Jesus to this culture. And guess what? You are those people in this day and age. God has something for you. Peter, we can learn something through the life of Peter and John here about recognizing, um, rather than focusing on what we don't have, focusing on what we do. And, and that's what we see in our passage today. There's three things that I want to show you that we can learn from relating to the thing, the most important thing that we have to give the mighty name of Jesus. First and foremost, listen, we have to be proactive, not reactive with what we've been given. We have to be proactive, not reactive. In other words, we have to prepare ourselves daily to give what we've been given to give. And so look at verse one here. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So Peter and John, they were a brotherhood amongst brothers. They were best friends, man. You know, Ecclesiastes wrote in, in or Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one. And oftentimes we associate that verse with marriage, but the context is beyond marriage. It's not just marriage. It's talking about Christian companionship. It's talking about you and I doing life together in all kinds of different ways, whether we're working together, whether we're, you know, we're husband, wife, or whatever. Any relationship this can apply to, two are better than one. And, you know, John and Peter together were better than John and Peter apart. It's so interesting to me that Jesus, there's a principle there. Jesus sent his disciples out. How? Two by two. Why did he do that? Because it's important. Listen, when you're by yourself in the world, you're positioned to be devoured by the enemy. Positioned to be devoured by the enemy. That's why this is so important. It's so important that we're building relationships with one another so that when we step out into our battle zones in the world, that we have a battle buddy. We need battle buddies in this life, folks. <laughs> Listen, I, don't, I, I know that I, am, I, am, I feel weaker when I'm by myself than I do when I'm with one of my brothers in Christ or even my wife or whatever. Just two is better than one. And the, the foundation that Jesus laid with his disciples going out two by two, they're still practicing right here. That's the point. These guys are going into the world. They understand it's important to maintain that Christian fellowship. It's to maintain that companionship with one another because when, when we go into the world by ourselves, we're gonna, we're gonna have a chance of being devoured. John and, and Peter and John, man, they were, they were good buddies and they maintained that and they strengthened each other. It was Peter and John that were the ones that ran down to the tomb uh, on that Sunday of the Resurrection Sunday. Not, not other men, it was Peter and John. They were, they were two peas in a pod, as it were. 
Here we find them side by side walking the streets of Jerusalem after Jesus has been crucified, knowing the religious leaders don't want anything to do with the name of Jesus. And here they are walking to the temple that day during the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. It was about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. They were headed to the temple to do what they normally did. They went to pray. You know, the disciples, it tells us in chapter two of verse 46 that this was a common thing that they did, that they went to the temple regularly to pray. How do you think that, that became a regular occurrence for them? They, it was modeled to them by Jesus. Jesus went to the temple often. Jesus, prior to his death and rising again from the dead, the temple itself was the meeting place of God. In fact, Jesus calls it what? My father's house. Oh, we're going to my, I can imagine Jesus taking his 12 disciples, man, we're going to my father's house today. We're gonna go in my father's courtyard. We're gonna tell people, man, that, that the, the Lord wants them to repent and come back to him and all these kind of things. We're gonna point people to me. I'm gonna be crucified and all these kind of things. Jesus, Jesus modeled going to the temple for these disciples prior to his resurrection. But, and so the disciples would, would obviously continue to do that. Yet, you and I know post-ascension of Christ that the temple and the church itself are simple buildings. There's not a temple in Jerusalem yet, but there will be during the tribulation period. But when it does, understand, it's just gonna be a building. God will not be, that's not his necessarily dwelling place because when Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead, guess where his dwelling place is now in you and me. You and I become the dwelling place of God. We're the temple of God. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and, and you are that temple man, you're the temple of the living God if you're in Christ this morning. Uh, you, you have him inside of you. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fearful thing if you think about it. I'm the temple of the living God. I'm called to be holy as he is holy. It says that anyone who destroys his temple, he will destroy. You know, think about the ramifications of somebody who persecutes those who, who belong to him and they destroy this temple. He's talking about the physical body. Man, there's huge ramifications for that according to Paul here. So understanding this, the disciples know that Jesus has changed the dwelling place of God from a building to us as his people. Why in the world are they going to the temple still? Why would they continue on going to the temple? The truth is, I don't know. They didn't have a church yet. The truth is that, uh, but, but, but here's what I do know. There's a couple things. Number one is what I do know is they were not going out of religious duty. They were not going to the temple like they had gone to the temple prior to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything has changed for them relating to going to the temple. They aren't religiously going to the temple. Some of you are coming here in these doors today and you're coming religiously. 
What do I mean by that? What I mean is that you think by being here that somehow you get better favor with God and that, you know, in some way, shape, or form, he's keeping track of your attendance in church. He's like, oh, Tim was gone last week. Gabriel, make sure you put that in his file. He was out. You know, he didn't even file a vacation request, man. That is a... I mean, that's totally against HR, you know, in heaven. So, but, but, but the reality of it is, is that, you know, uh, some of you come religiously in that way, thinking that somehow that's going to get you closer to God by simply being in a building. Well, you definitely are closer to God if you're not in Christ by being around God's people because his presence is there. But listen, uh, you know, coming to, into a building doesn't make you a Christian, you know, dwelling in the, in the temple doesn't make you a Christian, just like, you know, going to Israel doesn't make you Jewish. I mean, you can go to Israel and you can dress like a Jew and you can put a yarmulke on and you can have a phylactery on your forehead and on your arm and you can have a prayer shawl and you can go to the Western Wall and you can do all of these things, but guess what? At the end of the day, you're still a Goyo. You're still a non-Jew. That's what they would call you. You're a Goyo. A Goyo. So here's the reality of it is that God's not interested in us coming to him religiously. That's why Jesus came. Jesus was sacrificed on the cross for us so that we could come relationally to him. He desires for us to be in relationship with him. You know, he's not looking for people to draw near to him with their lips. He's looking for people to draw near to them with their hearts. Pastor Mike had an incredible message last week about checking your heart and just about the idea of maintaining your heart and, and how important repentance is and all of these kinds of things. Why are all those things important? Because we're in a relationship with the living God. That's why. We need to maintain that relationship. You know, and when we, when we blow it and we mess up, just like I would with my wife or whoever, one of my friends, if I blow it and mess up, guess what? I ask for forgiveness and there's forgiveness granted and we move on. I hope. With God, that's, that's always the case, though. Do you know that? Do you know right now, you could have blown it crazy bad this morning, yelling at your wife and blah, 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 blah. And do you know right now, God is positionally just saying, just come to me, man. I'll forgive you. Just come. You come to me. In the name of Jesus, I'll, I'll wash your sins away. All you gotta do is repent. He's, he's ready to forgive at all times. I hope that we would take his heart and that we ourselves would be ready to forgive. One of the things that I think is the greatest disobedience of the church itself is its unwillingness to forgive each other. And isn't it that Jesus said that they'll know him by the love that we have for one another? Man, we gotta be forgiving people because guess what? I'm gonna offend you. You're gonna offend me but we need to be willing to forgive each other. Peter and John weren't coming to the temple religiously. They were coming to the temple relationally, not interested in sacrifice, but interested in prayer. Everything changed for them relating to the law, and, uh, but they were still following the practices of the law in this sense. Psalm 55, 17, it says that evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, moan and he hears my voice. Devout Jews would pray three times a day. They would pray at 9 a.m., they would pray at noon, and they would pray at 3 p.m. And, um, you know, even when prayer was so important 
to the Jews that they would literally uh, pray even when it was illegal. And Daniel's our example of that. Daniel being in Babylon, you know, and the, the rule is passed that, hey, you can't bow down to any other God or whatnot. And Daniel opens up his windows just like he did every day, three times a day, and he prayed towards Jerusalem because there comes a point in time when, you know, we're called to, to obey governing authorities until governing authorities dis, uh, you know, dishonor the word of God. And then we, we, uh, we obey the Lord. And here Daniel did, Daniel's our example of that. He obeyed the Lord. He continued to pray to the Lord and, um, and that is the example of what it looks like. So three times a day they would pray. John Corson tells us during that hour of prayer that they would, they would stop whatever they were doing. Can you imagine mowing your lawn and you're like halfway through and you're like, oh, our prayer, gotta go to the temple. They would do that. They would just leave whatever they were doing. They would get to the temple, they would pray for an hour. An hour, hour times three is what? Three hours a day. Three hours a day they would pray, man. And again, they're praying religiously. Imagine if we prayed three hours a day relationally, what in the world would happen? God would do amazing things. But I love the format that Corson describes for us. He said, during this time, it consisted of 15 minutes of silent meditation, 30 minutes of petition, and 15 minutes of adoration. You know, when I read that, that first 15 minutes really grabbed a hold of me. How often do I spend 15 minutes in silence before God, just meditating on him, just meditating and just waiting? I can do it for at least 30 seconds. <laughs> and then I gotta start saying something. I, I feel like we're distant, Lord, you know? And, and I'm just, you know, let's just have a conversation, you know? And the Lord's saying, no, no, I want you to chew on me a little bit. I want you to think about me. I want you to think about my word. I want you to meditate a little bit. Man, the softening of the heart that goes on when you just sit before the Lord silently and allow him to speak to you. And then 30 minutes of making petitions, not just for yourself, but for other people. That intercessory prayer and praying for all kinds of different things. And then 15 minutes at the end, they would just begin to praise God. Praise him, give him, give him glory for who he is and all of these kinds of things. Listen, if you lack some sort of a structure for your prayer, this was a great way to pray. Meditate, petition, and then adoration. Those three things. If you want to have some sort of a structure for your prayer life, there it is. There's a gazillion ac acronyms for prayer, you know. But, but this is a simple thing. And I, and I don't know that many of them that include meditating on the Lord. Meditating on the Lord. Uh, it's interesting, they were coming at the 3 p.m., which would have been the evening uh, prayer time, the last prayer time. During that time, right before the prayers of the people would begin, they would make a sacrifice. That was the evening sacrifice. They would make a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. And it was so interesting because um, Matthew's gospel tells us in Matthew 27 that Jesus died at the ninth hour. Isn't that interesting? That it, I think that the, the importance of that is to understand 
that just another way of understanding that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, man. He is not only our Passover Lamb, but He's also our evening sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice. These guys weren't going to the temple for sacrifice or religious duties. They were going out of relationship because they knew that they needed to prepare themselves for the tasks at hand, for whatever God would have for them. They understood that they would be ineffective outside of that, outside of just praying. Why do I say that? Because prayer aligns your heart with God's. Prayer aligns your heart, heart with God. It helps you understand through prayer, he begins to just mold and shape us. You know, and somehow, if we pray enough, and we do it often enough, our prayers go from gimme, 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 to your will be done. Why does that happen? Because our heart becomes aligned with the Father's. We begin to think like he thinks, see things the way that he sees them. His word begins to you just well over us and we want what he wants. And no longer am I trying to get God to do things for me, but I'm more along the lines trying to get myself in a position where I can do his will. I love what C.S. Lewis said about prayer. He said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Prayer changes you. You know, God knows what you need and we can petition the Lord for things and all of that for sure, but what I find is that through prayer, my heart begins to say, Lord, your will be done. This is the model of Jesus. Jesus prayed often, and his heart was, Father, your will be done. Your heart will be the same way. Peter and John were preparing themselves daily for the, the things that the Lord would have for them. And you and I need to prepare ourselves in the same way, because guess what? You don't know what tomorrow brings. You have no idea what God's gonna bring across your path in the next hour. Man, do you need to be lined up with God that his will would be done in that situation, that you wouldn't enable somebody or maybe you would help them if God would tell you, you know, that you would understand all of those things in the moment. Because guess what? You don't have time to pray when the opportunity arises, do you? You need to be proactive, not reactive. You need to be prepared for these things. And the way that we prepare for those things is through prayer. Secondly, we see that um, we, we not only need to be prepared uh, daily to give what we have, but we also need to look for opportunities to give what we have. There is a fish in every stream that we cross, and we need to be ready to fish, just like this guy's ready to fish, man. He's in the right place at the right time, and we need to be looking for these opportunities. Look at verse two. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have to give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. 
Uh, have you ever noticed how routine you are in your life? You wake up at the, the same time, usually do the same things, the same routine. You, you then, you know, drive the same routes and stop at the same stores and talk to the same people, often at the same times. The disciples were just like that because we're creatures of habit, you know, uh, in general as humans. They probably traveled the same paths through the same gates at the same times, buying their goods from the same people. Beggars were also in the same mindset. They, they, they would go to the same place and beg at the same times, you know, to receive alms from the people. Now, alms was a big part of Jewish culture. Alms literally is a social program for, for that God put in place himself. It wasn't managed by man. It was managed by God. And God would take care of people who couldn't take care of themselves through his people. Did you know that's how it's always supposed to have been? That we're supposed to take care of those around us. That doesn't mean we go outside and give everything we have to you know, a homeless person. We, need, we have the spirit of God. We need to walk in wisdom. But, but there is that aspect of the church that we're to be generous people that we're to be giving people, that we're to help people that are in need. In this culture, in this day, you know, uh, um, beggars, they would, they, would go to the, um, they would go to the same place and they would post up in three particular areas. They understood where to go. Just like, you know, the, the homeless guy knows what off-ramp to go on and he stands there with his sign or whatever. Hey, uh, th- these guys knew where to go. So there were three places. The first place... Um, beggars would post up is outside of a rich person's home. So they would, they, you know, we have that example in the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was posted up at the, at the uh, place uh, of the rich man. And then we see in the parable that Jesus gives, which I think is a real account, by the way. I don't think it's a story. I think it's, li- uh, I think it's real. But he, remember the rich man is in, he's in Sheol or Hades and he's suffering. He's a place of torment and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, and the guy's struggling with all that, and he's like, dude, he sat outside your gate the whole time. The guy was there. Not that giving alms would get you to heaven, by the way. It doesn't. But it's a sign of someone being regenerated that we would have a love for people like God does. So they would post up outside of rich people's homes. Second place they would do it is along busy highways where there'd be lots of people going by and for, and they would just sit there and they would say, alms of the poor, alms of the poor, and, and those Jewish people would, would, you know, fill the tug on their heart uh, to give uh, to these people, and so they would. The third place, and probably the best place to post up would be the temple. Listen, that would be like posting up where Pastor Mike is right now, right next to the tithe box. You know, when you post up next to the, next to, in the temple, particularly this guy, this guy's at the gate beautiful, or the beautiful gate. It's on the eastern side. Pull, pull that picture up real, real quick. Here is the eastern wall of the Temple Mount. The, the Mount of Olives is over here. You have right in between there the Kidron Valley. When we go to Israel, we're going to have a great view of the eastern wall from the Mount of Olives. Here on the eastern wall, there's what's known as the Eastern Gate. You guys know what the Eastern Gate is, right? That's the gate Jesus is coming back through. 
That's located here. Some people believe that the, the gate beautiful um, was, uh, you know, just inside the, the, the eastern gate. Uh, some think it could have been the eastern gate. My point is they don't know exactly where it was, but it was somewhere on the eastern side. Or it could have been up here where the gate of Nicanor was. And, and if you see that gate, it's, it's, uh, it's brass. And uh, that would match what Josephus says the gate beautiful would look like. He said it was 75 feet tall. It was made of Corinthian brass. It was beautiful. It, it actually out-beautified gold and silver, literal gold and silver um, gates. This is such an incredible place. So it could have been, he could have been posted here or here, but my point is right in between there is the woman's court, but it's also the treasury. What's in the treasury? The boxes, the offering boxes for the Lord, right inside of that court would be where the people would come to give their money. Man, this guy has a primo place. He's posted up at probably the best spot that he can get. I wonder how early in the morning his buddies had to get up to drag him over to this place every day and sit him down. He was positioned at the right place. This guy, listen to me. We, we'll, we'll, we'll find out later next week, maybe, if we get there. He was 40-some years old. This crippled guy was 40-plus. We don't know exactly. It doesn't say. It just says he's over 40 years old. He's over 40 years old. How old are John and, and Peter? Estimation. 25? 25, maybe? Peter would have been the oldest, I think Peter started following Jesus when he was 21 years old at the, at the oldest age. He'd been 25 years old, 24 years old. What's my point? This guy has been posted up there longer than these guys have been alive. That says something. That makes me think that they've passed by this guy multiple times. They, you know, Peter and John, because they were from Galilee, right, from their age of 12, all the way until this moment, they were required to come to Jerusalem three times a year. Where would they have come? Probably this route down the Mount of Olives, probably through the Eastern Gate, in through the court of uh, the women's court there into the treasury area. That's probably where they would have hung out. They have probably passed by this guy countless times. You know what's something else that's impactful? Jesus passed by him too, probably. You know, in the triumphal entry of Jesus, we know for sure that Jesus went through that gate right there, through the eastern gate. That Jesus rode that donkey down the Mount of Olives and he walked right through that gate there. What a statement, because he's coming back through the same gate. So amazing, but he probably would have walked through that same gate too, passing by the same guy, and I wonder... I, in my mind, I think Jesus is walking by this guy just going, man, you have no idea what's going to happen. Dude, I can't wait three more years. I'm going to be crucified. Dude, you're going to get healed, man. It's going to be awesome. Why? Because it was to the glory of God. Because we'll see next week what ends up happening. But, but this guy, my point is that they would, they'd gone these same routes. They had seen this guy over and over again. This guy had seen them probably. Everything was pretty common, pretty routine. 
And yet God had a greater plan. Here we have Peter and John going into the temple. And this guy just going alms to the poor, alms to the poor, it says he saw them and, he, and, and, and seeing them, he, he, he spoke out to them, alms to the poor. He asked to receive alms from them. It's interesting because he visualizes them, but he doesn't lock eyes with them, which is interesting. It's almost like, oh, I know these guys. You know, the same homeless guy that sees your car going by every day and you don't look at him? Because you know rule number one about helping homeless people is if you ain't gonna help them, don't look at them, right? Do not make eye contact. Don't look, don't look, look, don't, don't look, don't look. Don't look, because if you make eye contact, there's a connection there. And all of a sudden, something, there's gonna be an expectation, right? I, I proved my point in doing this a couple days ago. I just drove around town looking for a homeless guy, and I was like, let me see if the, no, I didn't. But I was at a stop sign, and there was a homeless guy right there. And I turned over and looked at him, and he's like, oh, hey, he's up on my window, you know, like, hey, can I get something? You know, it's, that's the truth. There's an expectation that's being laid when you make eye contact with people. Number two thing is you certainly don't talk to them. If you start talking to them, then the expectation rises. Now you are for sure on the hook for something. And this guy's like, man, I'm gonna get paid here. You know, they did all of that. Isn't it interesting? This guy saw them and in my, in my mind, in my mind because of what Peter says to him, it's almost like he, he looks up, he sees him going in and he, he looks back down, you know, asking for alms. And Peter's seeing him. Peter saw his situation. And I think in seeing that, what I think it, that means is that he saw them with God's, with God's eyesight. Like in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave Peter the ability to see something that he knew he didn't have the ability to do except for, he knew that money and silver and gold wasn't gonna help the guy, but he knew that he possessed the one thing that could. The Holy Spirit, it says, Peter, in that moment, alms to the poor, Peter says, look at us, probably authoritatively. Look at us. I gotta imagine the man looks up and then Peter says probably the most deflating words that this man could have ever heard. Silver and gold I have none, or I have no silver and gold. Wait, what? What do you mean? Well, what are you wasting my time for, man? You got no silver and gold, move on, you're blocking the way. I need to get those guys that are going in with the money bags over there. But notice what he says. Peter immediately moves on, but what I have, I give to you. I wonder if you're here today and you've looked at people's situations in their physical needs and you've thought, oh man, I don't have anything to give so I'm just not gonna say anything at all. Hey, listen, even maybe perhaps even avoiding the Holy Spirit unction to do something. I'm gonna tell you a story to my shame, actually. It's not a glory story. But, I, but when I was probably walking with the Lord about 10 years, God, I was, I was in a place and I was praying fervently, God, give me your eyes to see people. Give me your mind to see and to think the way that you think about people and that you would change my heart about people. And 
and so that was my prayer. And God started to change my heart, you know, like, like just having a real burden for people. And, and, and one time I, I saw a guy not too long after, you know, praying like that, the Lord, this handicapped guy came in my path. He was in a wheelchair. And in that moment, I believe it was the Lord. Uh, here's the thing is, I'll never know because they didn't do it. But in that moment, I saw this handicapped guy and I felt like the Lord said, go up there and get him out of, raise him out of his wheelchair. And I thought, I don't know, I'm not doing that. No way. Not a chance, God, I'm not doing that. Are you kidding me? What happens if he just falls to the ground? His family's around him, you know, like, hey, in the name of Jesus, get up. And he's like. I was more worried about what may or may not have happened than just being obedient to God, number one. Number two, I had no expectation of God doing that, probably because I hadn't been preparing myself in the way that I ought to have and looking for the opportunities the way that I ought to have to be ready for that moment. What I'm saying to you is maybe you have a story like that too, that you've passed by a situation, an opportunity that God has given you because you were afraid, because you were, you know, you were unable to do that thing in your natural self, and so you just pulled back and didn't do anything. I want to encourage you today that those days have to be behind us. We have to leave those days behind us. We, we can't, we are in a critical stage here in our country today, and this place needs to see bona fide Christians standing in the authority in the name of Jesus. We need to be the kind of people that aren't gonna worry about what the outcome might be. And that goes for sharing the gospel or laying hands on somebody or whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Listen, I'm not your Holy Spirit and I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm telling you that we gotta leave those days behind where we're disobedient to God and we're unwilling to step out in faith to do these things, and I'm telling you, you'll never do it if you don't do the first thing here. If you don't align your heart with God in prayer, you'll never do these things. You'll never step into your calling. Some of you are sitting here trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing in, in your walks with the Lord, and you're not even praying about it, or half-heartedly praying. Man, I, you gotta seek God with everything that you got. Well, I don't have time. Get up earlier. It's that important. You know, we have, to, we have to be willing to step in to areas that we are gonna be uncomfortable in, folks. I'm pretty certain Peter wasn't super comfortable in this moment. I'm pretty sure that he was like, God, I hope this works. You know, that's how I would be anyway. And knowing Peter, maybe he's, I feel like I'm a lot like him, so maybe that would be the case. But what I know is he was willing to give what he had. You have what he has. You have the powerful name of Jesus. Are you willing to give it to people? You may not have the silver and gold. You may not have the fancy words. You may not have whatever it is that they're lacking, but the one thing you do have can change the world. It can change a person's situation. Are you gonna be willing to give what you have? Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And what's interesting is in that moment, he stood him up, the guy stood up, and, and Luke, who was a physician, writes that his feet and ankles were made strong. That, why is that important? Because Luke's a doctor, 
And he's using doctor terminology, actually, in the original language. It's physician words. Luke is saying this was a bona fide miracle. Peter and John were looking for the opportunity. They were ready to be used by God. Uh, you know, and, and now, look what happens as a result. The, the third thing that I want to share with you this morning, very quickly, is not only do you have to be prepared through prayer to be used to give what you have, not only do you have to look for the opportunities to give what you have, but number three, when you're used, you better be prepared to give him all the glory. That's what happens here, verse eight, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one um, who had who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This man leapt. It might have been a couple inches. We don't know what his vertical leap is, but here's what I know. He never leapt before in his life. He's standing. He's never stood before. He's walking. He's never walked before. In all of this guy's life, he's never done any of these things, and now he's leaping and praising God because what had happened. This is a miracle. This is an amazing thing that God has done. And, and, and you know what? My fear is that we'll read this and go, man, how amazing is this? That'll never happen to me. What if God wants to use you that way? What if he wants to use you that way? Don't allow your fear to stop you from being used. Listen, I'll never know the rest of my life what would have happened. And I think about it a lot. There's a couple things like that in my life. Listen, I don't want to be plagued with regrets. I don't know about you, but time is short. It's time to stand for Jesus. You have something to give, Christian. And when God uses you, you make sure you point him right to him. You give him all the glory because what we'll see next week is God framed this moment up just like he did with the baptism of the Holy Spirit when tongues came down so that a message could go forward and people could get saved. That was the whole point of all this. How do you know that God doesn't want to do the same with you? You'll never know if you don't start to step out and step in the Holy Spirit. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he, he moves in the same ways. And you know what? Why isn't he doing these kinds of things today? Maybe his church is too afraid to step into these things. God is doing these things. He is healing people. He is doing these things. The question is, is if you're here today and you've never seen anything like that, you need to be asking yourself why. Because God is, I'm not saying there's a miracle around every corner or anything like that, but you know, if you're a Christian, that's a miracle. So there are things that, some miracles that God wants to do through you, but you gotta be willing to step into it, man. You might be here and you might be a, a young Christian and you're thinking like, man, this sounds crazy. Hey, listen, the fact that God wiped your sins away, past, present, and future, that's crazy. You think this is, this is crazier than that? It's not, trust me. The fact that your sins are washed, that you are white as wool before the Lord right now, that is amazing. And he wants to do those kind of things through you, but you have to be prepared and ready for these things. And when he uses you, give him the glory. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word and for this time together, Lord. We need, Father, even in this moment, to hear from your spirit, God. 
We need for you to direct our steps, God, in what you want to do through us. What we recognize this morning, God, is there are no excuses because we, we may not possess all the material things in this world that people may be asking for. We might not have specific words to speak that can bring healing in relationships and such. But God, we have the name of Jesus. So we have what we need, God. Will you help us to be willing to give what we have? Today, will you move us from this place of stop focusing on what we don't have? Every one of us in this room, if we're in Christ, we have the authority and the power through the name of Jesus to be usable. And so, Lord, we want to we want to just proclaim the name of Jesus over this place, over our lives today, that we would step in to your plan for us. And God, that if there is fear that's stopping us, you would back, fill us with faith. Lord, if we're, if we're being held back because of our past, will you help us to let it go so that we can move forward? You separated our past. It's gone. This morning, maybe some of us are trying to do this stuff in our own power and we've not seen it because we're trying to do it ourselves. Lord, whatever you want to do, have your way in us. Fill us with your spirit, God, and help us to be serious about these last days that we could be used by you. We don't want to live life in the rearview mirror, Lord wishing we would have done this or that. God, give us faith to do the things that you are putting before us. Help us to prepare our hearts through prayer, that we would be looking for opportunities to be used by you, Lord, and it's gonna be uncomfortable. And then, Lord, help us to give you all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Will you stand with us? We're gonna pray. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.